Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except as a foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Luke 17, 11 through 19. Well, good morning, Christ Church. That's our text. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. But if you have your Bibles, you can also go ahead and turn to Luke 17. That's where we're going to be at this morning. But my name's Elijah Daly. I get to be one of the ministers here on staff. And it is good to be together, braving the rain. There's been a lot of it, and apparently there's more to come. So thanks for worshiping with us today. And really, we're going to continue in our series, Portraits of Jesus. Now, if you remember, we started this series last week and our hope is, our our goal with it is really that you would be equipped and inspired to open up the word of God, to open up how he's revealed himself and begin to be changed by it. That we would have a clearer picture of who Jesus is, that our understanding of him would grow and our faith in him would grow as well. You see, each gospel is a carefully constructed work of art. It shows us who Jesus is, and it's beautiful, and it's challenging, and it's moving, and it's true. And it's an image that confronts, it provokes, it reveals. Now, last week, we talked about Mark's gospel. We talked about the portrait that he paints, that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Son of God is in a hurry to serve. And we need that service. We need him to serve us. And in doing so, his service actually enables us to serve others. And he shows us the posture that this takes. It's not domination, right? He didn't bust through the door. He he showed himself serving the people of the world by sacrifice. And he overcomes the power of sin and death, not through physical domination, but through surrendering his own life. That's what he calls us to as well. I know it seems weak, he will say, but it's actually where we find our strength and power. But this week we're looking at Luke. We're going to look at the portrait that he paints. And it seems that, to me at least, what stands out the most in Luke's portrait is that Jesus heals the outcast. So if you want to look at Luke 17, we are going to look at this story that he tells. And we're going to see the purpose of healing, the process of healing, and the person of healing. That's where we're going. The purpose of healing, the process of healing, and the person of healing. So let's look at the purpose of healing. It says in verse 11, it says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. They stood at a distance. This right here is the first account of social distancing that we have. I don't know if that's true or not, but we had a whole year of standing at a distance, didn't we? It doesn't feel awesome at times. I remember, in fact, a couple years ago, um, my wife and I were getting ready to go to this wedding 
And it was some old friends that she had, childhood friends. We were going to go to this wedding and we were trying to figure out, you know, what to wear. And she was getting ready. And I was like, how fancy do you think this wedding is going to be? Like, do you think this is going to be like super fancy? Like, could I just get by with like a plain, you know, nice V-neck t-shirt and some slacks? And like, will that work? Or is it going to be like super fancy? And she's like, I don't think it's going to be that fancy. I think that'll be fine. I was like, all right, well, that's fine. So she wore a dress. You know, we traveled in Tulsa. So we went to Tulsa. We got to the, you know, we got to the place. And automatically I can just, I start looking around. I see people and I'm like, Macy, these people are pretty dressed up. Like, It seems like it might be a fancy wedding. And she's like, no, it's not. I I don't think everyone's going to be dressed like that. It's going to be fine. And uh, well, you know where the story's going. We get inside and everyone is dressed. It's like a James Bond movie in this place. (laughs) Slick suits, swanky dresses. And I'm like, oh no, Macy, what have you done? (laughs) And so we start, you know, we go through the wedding and all that. It's fine. But I know I'm just walking through this place and it is the worst. This is my nightmare. Everyone's looking at me. I can just tell that like I shouldn't be here. They know that I shouldn't be here or at least I should just go sit in the bathroom for a while. But after the ceremony, we go to the reception and we start to just chat with some friends there. And uh, finally, after a while of chatting, finally one of them says, Elijah, did you not know you were coming to a wedding today? And I'm like, I know, I get it, I'm fine. And Macy, my wife, just thinks it's hilarious. And so I haven't spoken to her since, but you know, it's fine. No, I'm just joking. But here's the truth. This is a silly little moment. This is a very silly moment where I felt on the outside. I felt excluded. I felt like I shouldn't be there. I was anxious, I was feeling judged, and I felt like an outcast. And it's a silly moment, but it's one that I think that at times we can all identify with. And that's how these men felt at all times. That moment is how they what characterized their life as people, as individuals. They were outcasts. Why? Why? Because they had leprosy, first off. It means uh, they had some sort of skin disease that covered their body. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean Hansen's disease, which is our current leprosy today. It just means that at some level they had some sort of skin disease, maybe some, some red you know, sores on them, patches that were you know, uncomfortable at times probably, that obviously were prone to infection and they would have been uncomfortable and painful and itchy. And we don't know exactly everything that it involved. We just know that it was obvious by looking at them that they had something going on on the outside. And so they were an outcast. They experienced a life most healthy people simply don't understand. You see, they stood at a distance because their lives were plagued by a health problem that no one else quite gets, and these men needed healing. But because they had leprosy, they were also seen as people cursed by God. They were seen as the other. They were seen as sinners. They walked around not just enduring physical discomfort, but actually with eyes of judgment on them at all times. They were seen as lesser than because they were seen as people who were wicked and they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't make sacrifices. They couldn't be near God at all. They stood at a distance, even to God himself. They needed spiritual healing. Both their physical and spiritual issues, man, they caused social ones too. They were social outcasts. Every single day, their dignity being ripped from them. Leviticus 14 tells us that somebody who has leprosy, they have to wear these torn up clothes and shout unclean, unclean every time somebody comes anywhere near them so that they know who they are. See, they stood at a distance because their appearance, their day to day, it wasn't glamorous, it wasn't respectable, it wasn't meaningful, they felt alone. And that's why they were together. 10 lepers who all felt broken found community in their brokenness. 
Because regardless of the brokenness we may feel, we will always seek a community that takes us in. Why? Because we were not made to stand at a distance. We were not made to be alone. But sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes because we are. Sometimes we are surrounded by people and they even love us, but we still feel alone. But Luke is painting a picture and it's a beautiful one. It's that Jesus heals. Jesus heals the outcast. For those who are stuck in unhealth, for those who are stuck in shame, in a fragile and fractured relationship, for those who the world has written off or made unimportant, he's saying, look at my gospel. It is written all over the pages that Jesus comes for you. It's all over his gospel. In fact, Luke condemns riches and comforts the poor more than any other writer. In fact, Luke names women and their role within Jesus' ministry more than any other gospel. Luke shows you the redemption of the ethnic other more than any other gospel. Why? Because Luke wants you to see that Jesus isn't coming for those who have it all together. He's coming for those who feel like they are standing at a distance. Jesus is coming for those who were made to feel like nothing because they had nothing, who were made to feel lesser than because they weren't men, and who were made to feel like they had to stand at the edge of God's presence because of their genealogy. These lepers are simply a prime example of what Luke is trying to say. They needed healing. They longed for it, for physical relief, for spiritual revival, for social connection. How did they get it? How do we get it? Let's look at the process of healing. The process of healing. He says in verse 13, as they're standing at a distance, it says, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They lifted up their voices. They shouted. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really get shouted at very much. Like, I feel like the older you get, the, the, the less you get shouted at. I mean, as a kid, obviously, you get shouted at all the time because you just, you do dumb things, right? I remember when I was working in customer service at Walmart as a teenager, I got shouted at a lot there. And I remember now, even especially, this is kind of a, a rare time. It doesn't last forever, but potty training, man, you get shouted at a lot there as well. I don't know how, but I became the de facto wiper in our house. And so regardless of where I was, I just hear, dad, dad, I'm done. But the older you get, you just don't get shouted at very often. So can you imagine 10 grown men shouting at you? It'd be startling. It'd be scared. It'd be like walking down Joplin and Main Street and having 10 homeless men start shouting at you. But these were lepers. And it was not just a shout, it was a plea. Jesus, have mercy on us, have pity on us. And Jesus shows here yet again how his compassion is better than ours. You see, despite the fact that all of these men were outcasts, they had a common longing for healing. And they must have heard who Jesus was and what he was doing. Now, I don't know how they knew it was him. Maybe they just knew because he probably would have had like a pretty large entourage that was following him as he went. He had a pretty large crowd of disciples that followed him wherever he went. Maybe that was how. Maybe they had seen him heal in the village earlier that day, but they could never get close enough to actually call out to him. I don't know, but they see their chance. They see him and they call to him. They shout for him, have mercy on us. And he hears them. Jesus hears their cry. And we see the first step in the process of healing is pursuing the healer. 
to see him, to go toward him, to shout at the top of our lungs if we must. You see, too many of us carry around these physical and and social and spiritual burdens all the time, but we don't bring them to anyone or any place because we feel like we'll be considered weak or that we'll be an inconvenience or that we will be judged when people really see these things. But look at what these men do. They abandon their pride. They abandon protocol. They don't shout unclean, unclean. They shout make us clean. And Jesus hears them. Church, he always hears us. He always hears you. He will never not hear you when you cry to him. Because God's love will always be more than we think, not less. And Jesus simply says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, why? Why does Jesus tell them to do this? Well, the priest was God's representative to the people and the people's representative to God. This was the guy who would make sacrifices on everyone's behalf. It was the guy who would pray on their behalf. He would act on their behalf, but he would also have a spiritual authority. He was the person that people had to go to to be joined back into the community. He was the one who would declare them clean. He was the one who would allow them back into their religious practices once more. And so he simply goes and tells them to go to the priests so that they can rejoin, excuse me, rejoin society. Now notice here, he doesn't say be healed. He doesn't make their healing contingent upon anything. He doesn't say if you do this, you'll be healed. All he says is go and show yourselves to the priest. He gives them no promise for healing. But they went. They obeyed. Why? I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. I wish he would tell us more. Like, were they just curious to see if it would work? Were they just, you know, so desperate that they would try anything? Was it that they actually believed wholeheartedly that this was a miracle worker? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But it does tell us something about the process of healing. That we have to pursue the healer. But that we also have to trust him. There's a story that Tim Keller shares about this woman who was in his ministry and she was going through a divorce and she's sad and she's angry. See, throughout this whole divorce process, she had kept a ring on her finger and it became for her a symbol, an emblem of her confidence in God that he had the ability to turn things around. But then the day finally came where that divorce was finalized and she was broken, she was in despair And she questioned everything. She felt like God abandoned her and she wondered whether he cared or loved her at all. But then a friend goes to her and she says, you need to read the scriptures. You need to force feed yourself the scriptures because in them, the Holy Spirit can speak to parts of your heart that human words simply cannot reach. And so she takes this advice and she starts to read the word of God. And she says, when, when this happens, that she was just flooded by this deep assurance that it steadied her. And she became aware and, re, and realized God's great love for her. And so she said that she gets on her knees. And she starts to pray to God. and She finally takes that ring off. She said, from now on, God, I will be devoted to you and you alone. You are my devotion, you are my covenant, and you will be the purpose of my life. The next day, she goes to a group of women that she had been meeting with, and one of them, out of the blue, comes to her, and she says, hey, I feel like God is calling me to give you this ring, that he wants you to know that he loves you, 
that he will never leave you nor forsake you. She took it and was blown away. It was more beautiful and valuable and stunning than the one that she even had before. And she said as she put it on her finger, she realized she wanted a ring that would remind her, that would allow her to be rem- to reminded constantly of her commitment to God. But instead, she got a ring that reminded her and forever will remind her of God's commitment to her. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? His, his timing, his goodness, his will. We must pursue him. We must trust him. And this is what we see in the story. It's, it says that as they went, Luke says that they were cleansed. Meaning that on their way, their skin started to clear up. The disease started to leave. It started to fade. They started to become healthy again. And Luke says, one person turned around. One person did. One person went back to Jesus. Let's look at the person of healing. The person of healing in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now this is where Luke's portrait really comes into view. You see, 10 men knew that God had healed them. Only one man knew that it was Jesus. And this man was unique. He stands out. Why? Because he was an outcast long before he had leprosy. He was an outcast because he was a foreigner. He was a Samaritan. Samaritans were outcasts, especially to the Jews. The Jews hated them because they used to be Jews. They actually used to be Jews, but then over time started adopting these different ways of worship and places to worship. And it seemed as though they had compromised everything the Jews stood for. It would be like if a Muslim joined a group of Jews, like they had the same God, but the trajectory of their religion compromised every part of what, he, of what they felt like they called him to. The Jews worshiped God in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worshiped God on Mount Gerizim, and it was compromising. But I think that's why he turns back. You see, Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. Go show yourself to the one that's going to put you back into community, put you back into into social life, into religious life, and to allow you to be clearly seen as somebody who has been physically healed. And he's running with these these Jews, and all of a sudden he's like, where am I going? I don't believe what they believe. I can't run with them. i got to figure out what I'm doing. And then it clicks. The priest. The priest is Jesus. He wants me to run to him, except Jesus isn't acting as a representative of God. He is God. And the Samaritan turns back, praising him. He was just shouting for mercy, and now he's praising him because of it. He's experienced it, and he returns, and he falls on his face, thanking him. And Jesus responds not with a, you're welcome, but with a, where are the others? Where is everybody? You see what he's saying here? saying the Jews should be here. They were supposed to know. They, I, I gave them everything. They had the commands and the scriptures. Why, where are they? They're pursuing the wrong healing. They wanted, they wanted to be in a religious community because they thought that by being religious, their physical healing 
would come, that their spiritual healing would come, that their social healing would come, that they could be a part of the right crowd, doing the right things, meriting the right favor, that God would accept them, that their community would accept them. But they got it wrong. And this Samaritan, who had gotten his theology wrong his entire life, finally got it right because he returned to God and fell at his feet. You see, 10 men were healed that day. Only one was saved. 10 men experience life returned. Only one will experience life eternal. And you can see that in what Jesus says. He says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And that word for rise is actually the word, the same word used for resurrection. Jesus is saying, get up. You are no longer a dead man, a walking dead man. You are alive again because your faith has saved you. See, the outcast didn't just return to a priest that was also God. He returned to a priest that represented the people. And that's how Jesus heals us most most emphatically. The leper couldn't make sacrifices for himself. He couldn't go near the temple. He couldn't make himself holy. But here is where we see Luke's stunning portrait. The Samaritan, the foreigner, comes to him and he is going to be made into a temple. He is going to be made holy. And Jesus says, I'm not going to offer sacrifices for your life with animals. I'm going to become the sacrifice myself. You see, the Samaritan goes to the true foreigner who left heaven to become man and be with us. He goes to the true social outcast that was rejected as a criminal so that he could be brought back into the community and he goes to the man who would be made unclean so that the leper could be made clean so that we could all be made clean forever. This is Luke's portrait. Jesus heals the outcast even at great cost to himself, even at becoming one himself. See, the truth is we are all outcasts. We are the Samaritan. And we must fall at his feet. And it doesn't matter what you did or what you didn't do. Your deeds don't disqualify you or merit you a place within it. It doesn't matter whose child you were, what company you led, how much money you have given. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or whether you stand at a distance or whether you feel like you should be here or not. All are welcome and all will be healed and no one will be left the same when they fall at his feet. When you put your hands into his So will you? Will you trust him? Will you seek him? Will you fall at his feet? Man, we hope that you will. Because the truth is, we are all outcasts in this world until we surrender to this king, this healer. And I stand on this stage, not as the doctor, but as a patient who has life again. And he wants to give that to you. Will you let him? Will you come to him? We hope that you will, that every person may experience this healing that Jesus wants to share and fall at his feet. Let me pray for you. Father God, we are so grateful for your love and compassion and your grace that each moment you give us something we don't deserve. And Father, we pray that we could be as the Samaritan, understanding what you've given us and falling at your feet in worship that our faith would grow, that you would help our unbelief, that each moment would be a new moment to surrender, to bring healing to the world, agents of your love and goodness. Father, we thank you so much for everything you've accomplished thus far. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.
Now, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Because you see, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote another book, Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. And so we really can't have Luke without Acts. And so for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to preach another sermon on the book of Acts. No, I'm just joking. But we can't have, <laughs> we can't have Luke without Acts. These two are a pair. They go together. You see, Luke tells about Jesus and Acts tells about what, Jesus, what happened when Jesus starts to impact our life. It's the history of the church. The Holy Spirit has energized every person who has surrendered to him and is now accomplishing God's will through them. We can't have Luke without Acts. It'd be like skipping the first three books of Harry Potter and we're only reading the last. It'd be like watching the first three quarters in the Super Bowl of Mahomes and then skipping the last quarter. It'd be like fighting in Breath of the Wild and not defeating Ganon. It would be as if we watched 30 minutes of Fixer Upper and then didn't see the finished product. Have I covered everybody? <laughs> this is important. You see, in Luke's portrait, Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the most important part, but there's more people in it. He's painted in more. It's us. It's us. We're in the background. We're accomplishing what he wants us to do. Jesus came to heal the outcast, and now he's invited us to be a part of the process. We join the work. We offer our lives. And so today, we're not going to respond by singing a song. We're going to respond by seeking the lost. Because our culture, our lives, our world are filled with people who are standing at a distance. They need the healer. And we must join this portrait. Now, if you're someone today who is sitting in this room and you're seeing the portrait clearly for the first time and you're like, I'm just ready to fall at his feet, man, we would love to have a conversation with you at our prayer center in the, in the lobby. There are people there who would love to explain to you how Jesus heals. But if you have fallen at his feet, he's saying, rise. He's saying, get up and go. Do something, become something, help the world experience the healing that only I have to offer. So today, our form of worship will not be singing, it will be healing. And so we commission you. We're telling you to go. Reach out to those who feel as though they are standing at a distance, to those who are mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically empty. Go give them what we know completes them. This is the healer, Jesus. May, may every single person know him by name. May every single person fall at his feet. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.